We're in our second week of our sermon series, Major in the Minors, looking at the minor prophets. What is God sharing with us through what is really 20% of of the Word of God? Almost 30% of the authors of Holy Scripture are found in the minor prophets. We said last week, sometimes we'll go to these prophets not as often as we should have because we read them and, it, and they all sound the same. It's hard to differentiate what God's saying to, through each person. Sometimes they're very confusing. And then sometimes they're just, I hate to say this about Scripture, but it just sounds weird. You read the very first chapter of, of, of Micah today and you've got stuff like lamenting and wailing and not just taking his sandals off, but taking everything off. And then even though Jeremiah and Leviticus say there are parts of your hair you can't cut, it's like this morning as when children go into, in, into exile, you just cut your hair, bald yourself. I mean, it's, by the way, I want to say I don't appreciate uh, some of the words that have come out of this crow's nest a week ago. Uh, we've been filming our services for about four years now, and they've, they, they're able to witness through HD glory, my receding hairline. And, uh, and, and you can almost mark it, too. It's like, it's like when you're 6'4", you can't notice it, most people, but that camera's at a perfect 12-degree angle that captures it, and you can like, okay, that's pre-pandemic, but look at post-pandemic. Look at the gray and how much hair he's lost. This sounds weird. Take everything off. Bald yourself. Don't avoid these books. They're holy writ. They're the canon of Scripture, the authoritative Word of God, and they have so much here for us. Each week we'll look at one theme, but in Micah you can see many of the themes of the, of the minor prophets. This call for justice. The Lord is basically shaming the leaders for how they treat those who are on the margins. Chapter 3, verse 9, your leaders hate justice. But chapter 4, verse 6 says, it's, it's our God who gathers together those who are lame and outcast. It's probably the best known verse of Micah. What, what is it, chapter 6, verse 8, what is it the Lord requires of thee? Do you remember? What's the first thing? To do justice. It's a common theme. We'll, we'll address it later in another sermon. But you see that theme as well throughout Micah. What are our leaders, but what people of God are you doing for those who are on the outs? It's also judgment. We talked about it last week. The first third uh, of, was about sin. The middle third was about judgment. It's the same thing for Hosea and for Micah. The middle chapters, go back and read these. God is being very serious with his people about judgment that is to come. And when he judges the nations in chapter 7, he says basically, when I'm done with you, you'll be on the ground licking the dust like a snake. There's significant judgment here, and we can't miss that word from God. But what we centered on last week, we find again this week, and it's just what Carrie shared with us a, a moment ago. We, we get this beautiful picture of who God is. In the midst of rebellion, in, in the midst of chaos and wondering about <coughs> sorry, what's coming next, and they're worried about foreign invaders, in the midst of that, we get pictures of Jesus and pictures of our Heavenly Father. You know the pictures you get here of Jesus, this promise that he'll be born in Bethlehem, this promise that when he comes, he'll not only be ruler, but in chapter 2, 13, and 12, he will be our shepherd. But then this good word, Micah 5, 5, this one who will come will be our peace. 
as Paul would say later to the church in Ephesus, for he himself is our peace. All that they had going on, all the worries of wildness, of idolatry and immorality, the worries of who's coming next, are we going to be taken into captivity, are we going to be invaded? And here's the promise of God that when Christ comes, you and I can have perfect peace. Where are you today? And scrambling, you see it here in one of the chapters that says you eat and you're never satisfied. Are you grasping for this world as they were trying to find some kind of peace? We're reminded here by Micah, the one who comes, let him be your peace. Whatever worry, whatever fear, whatever burden, whatever struggle, whatever sin, let him be your peace. And then this word about who God is. G. Campbell Morgan has a book about the Minor Prophets. Here's what he says. The supreme thing in every one of their prophecies is the tender love of God, his infinite compassion. Those are the heartbeat of God that throbs through all these books. I think about Minor Prophets and I just think of the coming calamity and the future projections of what will be. At the heart of it is the heart of God. Of God, We can't miss these books for what they say about him. Chapter 7, verse 8, though I live in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. Chapter 7, verse 9, God himself will plead my case. And then our scriptures for today, 18, 19, and 20, he, he, his love for you is unchanging. He is moved in his belly with compassion. The word Micah, that's the very first, chapter 1, verse 1. His, his name, his very name, Micah, means who is like Yahweh or God? That's the opening question, and then you get to what we read. That's the closing question in chapter 7, verse 18. Who is like God? And Micah throughout, throughout this book, but especially here at the end of chapter 7, is saying this is how our God is different from all the other gods. He's a God who pardons He's a God who pleads your case. He's a God, you get to the next to last verse, what a, what a word for us. He takes your sin and he throws it into the sea. I, I told some of y'all this, I don't think I've told it in a sermon, but it's a bad story. I went on a youth group trip in sixth grade, they had an opening spot, and so they asked me to go, and I didn't really know the students, but I went. It's a great conference, but you know, just the young kids, everybody's picking on you. Well, I was up at the hotel on our way back, taking a shower. You know what a Polaroid camera is? Some of y'all remember that. But my, my, my daughter-in-law got a pol one of these new Polaroids where you take a picture and it actually comes out of the camera. For y'all that are young, it takes it out. You don't have to. Back in my day, you took it to a, a store and you turned in your roll of camera. You waited two weeks. If they didn't lose it, you got it back, right? And you got your pictures developed. Well, they had a Polaroid camera and went in and took a picture of me in the shower in sixth grade. And they took that picture out. They, you, remember this? Some of y'all are older. They let it develop. And they went down to the pool where all the, all the kids for the youth group, and they showed every last one of them the picture. So there I am, a sixth grade kid, just terrified, broken, upset. And eventually I'm like, I'm just going to walk down there. And, and I look out the window, and I see them showing the picture. And everybody's got these weird looks on their faces. And I'm like... Man, that's me they're looking at, man. I go down there later. I toughen up and go down there. These boys were smart enough with their psychological torture. They put their finger over the lens when they took the picture. I just saw the flash. And so when they're showing people the picture, it's just of a black picture. And all, everybody's looking at, what's going on? I'm like, they're looking at me, looking at it like this. 
the shame I felt, though, not knowing that and having to go down there thinking I had been exposed. Micah says your sins are exposed before the holy God. The way you've treated others, your idolatry, your immorality, you are exposed. But here's the goodness of God. And this is what will happen through the one who will come at Bethlehem. That sin, it's gone. It's in the depths of the sea. You and I can walk with, as Ben prayed, you and I can know right relationship with God. We don't have to cower. We approach him reverently, but you and I can know the forgiving grace of God. And not just grace, we can know the peace of God. How is it you and I need to hear that today? This one counterpoint I want, I want to share with you. There's so many different themes, who God is, his justice, his judgment. But if, you're, if you want to be honest, we go to the prophets a lot of times to see what's going to happen at the end. I used to be obsessed with that. I told you when I was in high school, I got obsessed. I had become a Christian. I knew all the end time stuff. I had it all plotted. I even had two solid guesses who the Antichrist would be. One was an Italian politician who was in the UN. That's who I had, number one. Number two was a general manager of the Chicago Cubs. But anyway, I had, it, I had it predicted. And we get fascinated of what will be. My team was getting beaten in the second half last night, so I pulled up YouTube just watching videos, and I saw somebody who who had a little, a father was interviewing his child, and he said, son, where did we go last week? He said, well, we went out to eat at a restaurant. What did you get last week? He said, I got a fortune cookie. What did the fortune cookie say? It said, in six days, it'll be your lucky day. What's today, son? Today's six days after that. It's my lucky day. What happened today? My hamster died. <laughs> we look for those future predictions. Tell me what's coming and mostly what the minor prophets do, they give us some of that. They give us some of that. We get this beautiful picture of, 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 of it's not only does he predict in chapter 1, verse 6, that, that Samaria will fall, but he gives them a word just when they need it. With all this confusion, all this worry, surrounded by immorality, surrounded by where you can't count anybody friend, even your family and your friends, in a world where there's not even one person who's godly is what the scripture says. And he gives them a word just when they, they need it. It's what Proverbs says, there's nothing like a timely word. You ever gotten that? My daughter I think she was five, Sarah, when she lost her, her frog, Brittany. And I remember her, her gathering us together, and we're going to have a funeral for this frog, right? And, and so we all gathered together, and, and she said, there will be no singing at this funeral. This is a solemn and sad occasion. So we all just gathered together. And then she says, I want us to just give, to just share a word about Brittany. Everybody just say a word about what she meant to you. It was Rhett. It was a kid from the youth group, probably three years older than Kate, eight or nine, who said, after a long silence, Brittany was a good frog. <laughs> she was a good friend to Kate and to so many others. She and it was like a five-minute <laughs> eulogy. It was a word that Kate needed. I, could, I couldn't give it, but Rhett did. They're in this confusion and, and heartbreak, and some of it's on themselves because the way they've treated others. And right in the middle of it, God says, I'm, I'm sending you somebody to Bethlehem. I'll send him. 
you, O Bethlehem, you of Judah, will be visited. It's so important for us to be ready to give a timely word. Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem, you may be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth a ruler. We get so excited, last thing, we get so excited about what's coming. That's not what the minor prophets are mostly about. What they're about is today. It was in their day and it is for us today. It's not what will come. It's what are you going to do with the day you have today. It's not judgment 700 years later when Jesus is born or 3,000, whatever, 7,000 years later. What will be the signs? Here's where you've been. I know what you've done and I know how you're treating others. What will you do in repentance today? Jotham, at the very beginning of the, the book, it reminds us, he kind of did what was right, but he left the high places. Those places where they'd worship other gods, sometimes do detestable things. Just, well, we'll just kind of compromise and we'll leave those. When Ahaz comes, I can't say from this, this platform what he did because of the younger children here. But it's the horror of all horrors. But when Hezekiah comes, he doesn't hear these prophecies about the judgments of God and say, oh, they're going to happen someday in the future. Instead, Hezekiah, if you go back to 2 Kings, gets it right and says, well, I'm going to wait on the Lord, yes, but I'm not going to passively wait. I'm going to actively wait. I'm going to do something about it. And all of a sudden, all those carved images, as are prophesied in Micah, those carved images are taken down. Uh, those carved images, it says, are smashed, the sacred stones. He cuts down the Asherah poles. He even takes the bronze snake Moses had made. This is Moses' bronze snake. He breaks it. Why? Because they burned incense to it. Anything that gets in the way of a right relationship with God's got to go today. We get fascinated with the future, but the call of Micah and so many of the prophets is, what's going on today? Chapter 2, if there's covet in my heart, if I'm taking things that don't belong to me, chapter 3, if I'm, if I'm not, not hating what is evil. In chapter 6, if I'm dishonest, if I don't do business well, if there's greed, if I don't love kindness, if I don't walk humbly, just on and on. I don't know what that will be for you. I encourage you to read it this afternoon and this week. Lord, what are the things I need to see today so I can, as Hezekiah did with his people, hear the word of Micah and say, not about the future. It's going to end today with me.